0: Well, good morning. The, my children have certainly been a blessing to me, and I'll tell you, uh, I am going to get the opportunity this coming up week to uh, experience a pleasure that I never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I would ever have the opportunity to. And that is, next weekend, I get the privilege of performing the marriage ceremony for my own daughter. What an incredible thing that is. So. And you know, but children can be a real challenge, too. Any of you guys who have kids, you, you know what that's all about, don't you? They uh, No, you don't know anything about what challenges of children. And sometimes they can literally frustrate the life out of us. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the story of the uh, young mother that had three very precocious little kids and she was asked, you know, looking back over you know, the time of raising her kids, uh, you know, would she do it all over again? And her reply was, yeah, sure, just not these three. <laughs> you know, and, but God uses us to teach, God uses children to teach us so many wonderful things, to not only teach us about himself, but to teach us about uh, ourselves, too. And today I want to look at a passage where Jesus uses children as a living illustration to make a critically important point to the disciples. And in this passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus' main point is that childlike humility is what makes for greatness in God's eyes. Again, childlike humility Is what makes for greatness in God's eyes. So take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, and read along with me. And if you don't have a Bible, in the seat pocket in front of you, you, you'll find one there. This passage says, At the time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. To really understand the dynamics of this passage, you need to look at some of the background that had occurred prior to when Jesus said these words. You see, this was the last year of Jesus' ministry. And his disciples had spent over two years with him, watching everything that he did, seeing all the miracles. They had seen Jesus take five loaves and two fish and just keep passing them out and multiplying them out until 5,000 people were fed. They had seen him raise Jairus' daughter from the dead. She was stone cold dead and there she was standing before them. They had seen him in teaching time and time again. And they had seen demons cast out of people. So they had seen Jesus do all these incredible things. And then prior to Matthew 18, in Matthew 17, they had seen Jesus. Jesus take Peter, John, and James up onto the mountain. And there, as they stood and watched, it says that his face shone like the sun. And that he was speaking to Moses and Elijah. And they had seen this. And not only that, but later on in that same chapter of Matthew 17, Jesus told the disciples very, plain, very plainly and very clearly. He said, I am going to be killed And raised from the dead. And the disciples understood what he was saying. Because the passage says that they were deeply grieved when he told them this. In summary, the disciples knew who Jesus was. They knew what he taught. And they had seen him demonstrate in power all the miracles that he had done. Now getting back to the the text in Matthew 18... When we look at the first verse of this text, the question that the disciples ask looks innocent enough. And that is until you look into Mark and and Luke and find out exactly what was going on there. See, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37, we find out that the real question that the disciples had been asking when they were talking amongst each other was, Which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us is going to be the top dog when Jesus comes to establish his kingdom? And then in Luke chapter 9, verse 46, we not only learn that, but we learn that evidently it wasn't just a little gentle discussion. It was a flat-out argument among the disciples. And not only that, but they were trying their hardest to keep Jesus from overhearing this argument, even though the passage says, Jesus knew what was going on. He knew what was in their hearts and what they were doing. And putting this all together, the question that the disciples asked in Matthew 18, verse 1, reveals that in spite of all that they had seen and all that they had heard, they were still very, very self-centered. And it also shows that they knew that they had no business talking about this subject that they were talking about. And that they really weren't being totally honest with Jesus when they asked this question in verse 1. And it kind of reminds me of the story of the preacher who, at the end of his sermon, told his congregation, he said, next week, during the week, I want you to read Joshua chapter 25. During your Bibles, during the week. Well, the next Sunday he stood before his congregation and he asked, well, how many of you have read the passage that I asked you to read? And half the congregation puts up their hands. And he says, well, that's great because I want to talk to you guys because Joshua only has 24 chapters busted. Now, with all of this in mind, let's look at what Jesus teaches his disciples. The first point that Jesus makes is that childlike humility is required to even get into the kingdom of heaven. After the disciples ask their question, Jesus, he sits down, he looks around, and there's a child over there, and he calls the child to come over. And the child comes over, and one of the passages says that he took him in his arms. So he put his arm around the child. And then interestingly, Jesus proceeds to answer a question that the disciples didn't even ask. Look at verse 3. He says, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not even enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, the disciples were asking, Who's the greatest? And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you who will even get into the kingdom of heaven, not who's the greatest. And Jesus is very emphatic about it. Whenever you see Jesus saying, truly I say to you, it's like saying, hey guys, listen up. Listen up. Jesus wanted to make sure that he had their absolute attention with what he was saying. And Jesus' reply is that two things must happen Before a person becomes part of the kingdom of heaven. And the first thing is that a person must be converted. And in this context, this literally, it means to make a change of direction. It literally means to make a U-turn. That's what this word means. And keep in mind that Jesus was addressing the disciples. These were the people that had been with him. They knew what he stood for. They knew what he taught. And they had seen all of his miracles. And Jesus is issuing a warning to his disciples, but also to us. You see, it's possible to know a lot about Jesus. It's possible to know the Bible well. It's possible to do all the right church things every Sunday. But to have never bowed the knee to Jesus Christ. It's possible to be very religious, but at the same time to stubbornly refuse to submit to Christ in your hearts. And Jesus actually warned about this very problem in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? And in your name perform miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, if you find yourself doing the Christian thing on Sunday, but continuing to live on in blatant sin with no desire to change, no remorse during the rest of the week, and no changes in your lifestyle, then you need to carefully consider Jesus' words. You see, you and I never know when we might walk out of this place and all of a sudden die and be standing face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ, looking at him. And what a horrifying thing that would be to hear him say, as you were staring at him face to face, I never knew you. Depart from me. Those are words that I hope that none of us would ever have to hear. Now, where's the line of all this? The line between actually being a child of God who is struggling to overcome sin. And by the way, that is normal. That's totally normal. Versus a person who has turned, and is, but is not turned and is not one of God's kids. It has to do with attitudes. It has to do with attitudes. And only God knows these. But the first step is to turn first step is to turn. And if what I, I have just been talking about, if it describes you, make today the day that you turn. Don't go on in that rebellion. Confess to the Lord that you have been rebelling against Him and that you want to turn. And He will hear the attitude of your heart. Just right now, quietly, say, Lord, I've been rebelling against you and I want to turn, and He will hear you. Moving on, Jesus talks about this right attitude in the next part of verse 3 when He says that we not only need to be converted, but we need to become like a child. Become like a child. Now, when Jesus says this, he means the positive attitudes of children. I mean, children can give us all kinds of terrible, miserable attitudes. And though Jesus doesn't say specifically what attitudes he's referring to, in the next verse, he mentions humility. And this leads me to believe that at least two of these positive attitudes are trust and humility. And children can be very, very trusting. One of the most... um, sobering moments in my own life is when my young son, who is now as tall as I am, but when he was smaller, and you know how they run up and they just grab a hold of your legs and hug you, and then you look, I remember looking up into my son's face and seeing that trust, and you realize that that, my son loved me and almost worshipped me, and I could do nothing wrong in his eyes. That was the level of trust And what a terrifying thing that is when you realize that you'll never possibly live up to that. Never possibly. But that same type of childlike trust is what the Lord desires, that attitude that He desires for us to have for Him. And children are also humble. They can be hideously selfish at times, but they don't seem to have that same type of destructive pride that kind of seeps into us as we, uh, as we get a little older. No, this kind of pride seems to be, the, be what we get. Now the gist of what Jesus was saying to his disciples is this. He was saying, hold on guys, listen closely, because you aren't getting this unless you make a complete U-turn and like a child humbles himself and trusts me, then you won't even get into the kingdom of heaven, let alone be great. First things first, guys. Now, having gotten the disciples' attention and having answered a question that they didn't even ask, Jesus makes his second point and actually gets around to answering their question in verse 4. He says, Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And in this statement, Jesus is teaching the disciples that childlike humility is what makes for greatness in God's eyes. And notice that Jesus uses this child that he has called to his side as an object lesson in humility. But the question came to my mind as I was looking at this, is, well, how did this child humble himself? I mean, geez, he just simply came over to where Jesus was. How in the world did he humble himself? And I think there are two ways which this child humbled himself. First, and much like the conclusion drawn out of verse 3, this child was trusting. You see, based on what we see in the text, this child didn't know Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus didn't know this child. There's no mention of any name of this child in the text. They didn't even know each other. And the child even came up, not knowing Jesus, and let him put his arm around him. Now, if that had been us, I can imagine what we would have said when Jesus invited us to come over to see him. Uh, I I don't know, Jesus. Uh, Are you going to embarrass me? Or, or... Jesus, what's in it for me if I come over? You know, let me know about that, and then maybe I'll consider coming over to you. Or, Jesus, what are you going to do to me if I come over? You know, I I just don't know if I want to get too close to you. You see, we will never become great in God's eyes until we trust Him. You see, trust is very important because trust is what enables us to walk by faith, especially during the tough times. And trust is also one of the key ingredients in joy and peace. You're not going to have those without trust. And the second way in which this child humbled himself is that he was obedient. Again, I can imagine what would happen if Jesus some, maybe had called one of us over. Uh, Jesus, uh, let me know what you planned, and which, and I'll think about it, and then maybe I'll obey and come over. Or, I'll tell you what, Jesus, i got 15 other things to do, and when I get those done, I'll be right there. But the child's trust and obedience flowed out of an attitude of humility. And this attitude of humility is what makes us great in God's eyes. So the only question that is remaining is, how do we develop this childlike humility that is so treasured in God's eyes? And as we look at all of Scripture, I think a clear three-step pattern for developing humility comes into focus. And I want to look at that. Step one is seeing God as He actually is and worshiping Him. And step two, as we look at God, we see ourselves as we actually are, resulting in humility and awe. And step three, God invites us then to respond by humbly serving Him. I want to take a minute to show you this pattern in both the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, this pattern can clearly be seen in the calling of the prophet Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to have a look at those. In the first part of this chapter, in verses 1 through 3, here's what Isaiah records. He says, In the year of King Uzziah's death... I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim were above him, each having six wings, and with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." And verse 5 records Isaiah's response to God revealing himself in all of his glory. It says, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, upon seeing God as he truly was, Isaiah becomes painfully aware of his own inadequacy and his own sin and responds in humility and brokenness before the Lord. In verses 6 through 7, we see God cleansing Isaiah from his sin and inviting Isaiah to serve him in verse 8. He says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then Isaiah responded, here am I, send me. You see, Isaiah responds in trusting, obedient, humble service to the Lord. And we again see this pattern in the New Testament in the book of Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul lays out in just incredible detail, God's staggeringly great love and grace for us in Christ. All the incredible things that God has given for us in Christ. And then in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, juxtaposed to that, Paul lays out what we were like. He lays out in the midst of that, uh, just in painful detail, what hideous, undeserving sinners we actually were. And the resulting attitude as we grasp this is, on one hand, the incredible love and mercy and grace of God. And on the other hand, our total unworthiness. And the response to all that is to bow and worship and adoration of God and who He is, that He would even love a person like us. Again, that response of humility. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, Paul lays out our response to the revelation of God and all his majesty and, and as well as our un, unworthiness. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. And you see, as a result of seeing God for who he is, seeing ourselves as we are, and responding in humility, God invites us to humbly trust, obey, and serve him. So that's the theory. How do we put all this into action? It's actually relatively simple. You start at step one. Seeing God as he actually is and worshiping him. You see, if you're really serious about developing humility and becoming great in God's eyes, then take out 10 minutes every day and spend time in the scriptures looking specifically at what God is like. You see, and then as you see what God is like in all of his glory, respond back to him in prayer and praise, and thanking Him and praising Him for what He is like. And I found that the best portion of Scripture to do that with is the Psalms. The Psalms describe in myriad of detail exactly what the Lord God is like in all His glory and His magnificence. Take one Psalm a day, one Psalm a day, and look at what is God like and respond back to Him And prayer and praise. And it will change you. And what you will find is that the rest of the three-step process happens naturally. You don't even have to work at it. As the Lord begins to reveal to you His magnificence and His glory. The priest Bernard of Clairvaux put it this way. He said, humility can only be the result of knowing and believing the truth, that is, having the right notions of God and myself. And may the Lord motivate us to make the time to get to know our God in all of His splendor, and as a result, experience humility as we worship and serve. Him. Let's pray. Lord, we, we so want to bring glory to you. Thank you that you have so clearly shown us in your word what makes us truly great in your eyes. And Lord, please produce humility in us. Motivate us, Lord, to aggressively seek you every day, to know you as you really are, so that we might fall on our faces before you in awe and humility as we behold your glory. Lord, we ask you that you would accomplish this so that you would be exalted, and so that we might be useful tools of service in your loving hands. We ask this in Jesus' name.